Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. This time, very special guest, Kevin Sorbo, the one and only. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View, Tennessee. While you're there, please subscribe. It's totally free to you. Welcome to our People in News episode, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today, we are talking with actor, producer, author, and director Kevin Sorbo, famous for his role on the number one worldwide hit TV series, Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. Kevin always strived to bring hopeful messages and meaningful entertainment to all. After Hollywood's wokeness spread wide, Kevin forged his own path. Already a successful actor, director, and producer, he founded Sorbo Studios to breathe traditional values and uplifting content back into the fabric of American culture. As an author, producer, and mentor, Kevin is dedicated to creating stories that inspire and nurture the soul. He wrote The Test of Lionhood, a Christian children's book that teaches kids about masculinity. So check that out for your favorite kids' Christmas stockings. There's only 20 days left, people. Kevin Sorbo is happily married to his bride of over 25 years, Sam Sorbo, and they have three nearly grown children, I think they are grown now, who they homeschooled, Brayden, Octavia, and Shane, born 12 pounds, 6 ounces, wow, born nearly full grown, turns 20 in a few months. Hello, Mr. Sorbo, how are you today? I'm doing great, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You're, you're in Florida, right? Where it's always sunshine. Uh, it's, it's beautiful here. Yeah, we we escaped uh, the worst governor in the country for the best governor in the country. So uh, <laughs> we love being here. Um, we left five years ago and both my wife and I have had family out here for a long time. I think our sisters lived out here 40 years. So we've been coming for years and it just got to a point. I got so fed up with California, with what they've done to the state. Um, as you know, that whole that whole left coast is insane. And um uh, we we left and it's been it's been a great move for me. I mean, I've shot over 80 movies and probably 90 percent of those movies are shot in Texas or further east. Nothing shoots in California anymore. So we decided five years ago, enough is enough. And we got out of there. I miss it. I'll be honest. I loved where I lived about I lived between L.A. and Santa Barbara. So I was like a good hour and a half either side. But uh, it's just got to a point the traffic, the taxes, everything. I said, I'm done. Yeah. Well, you're, now you're where it's always sunshine, just like California. Uh, it's turning yeah, cold. We're cold we, we only we only hit, we only hit 81 degrees today. It's very chilly. Yeah, but thankfully they're not going to take your gas stoves away at the like the TVA yet. So not not a fear oh where gosh. you're at. Um, is that is that the Hercules sword behind you? That was after seven years, the very 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 last day of filming. After that big chapter oh, in my cool. life, this is the uh, sword that the props department built for me and put to me, and it's. It's got the dates on there from 1993 to 1999, the seven years we filmed it down there. And it says, uh, you know, the journey may be over, but the legend lives on. So Awesome. Awesome. Looks like a Lord of the Rings. My whole crew, actually, about 90% of my crew went on to work on Lord of the Rings. Peter Jackson used to come on the set every once to see how the crew was developing. Because I lived in New Zealand for all that time. And uh, they all went in to win Academy Awards. I mean, our props, our props department, our... Our wardrobe department, our, our the Weta group that did all of our creatures, I think they won like five Academy Awards over the three three different uh, Lord of the Rings. Very cool, very cool. Um, well, like you said, you like me, a recent arrival to a new state. Um, yeah. You had a Westlake Village villa and Hamptons up in the Sag Harbor homes uh, for the free state of Florida. 
Uh, was that just a complete uproot from California and where Hollywood types do their summers or did you already have some roots in Florida? Um, I just, it was just my brother. I had a brother living here. Uh, he has since moved. He's moved up to North Carolina to be closer to his, to his oldest daughter and their four grandchildren. Um, and, but my wife's sister still lives in Tampa. She's on the other side of the state, but we, we see them quite often, at least every six weeks we see them either going out there or they're coming out here. So, uh, but it's been a good move for a lot of reasons for me um, and for my wife as well. But I, I've always loved it here. Um, like I said, I'm not going to lie. I do miss the weather of Southern California. I, I miss my house there. But uh, it just, like I said, I got to a point that I was like, I was just so done with the hypocrisy of it all. And, you know, that state, I think it's close, closing in on 8 million people have left that state in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, there's a reason for that. And yeah. uh, it's just kind of funny how their 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 current governor as a way of, of making it still sound like it's the state to live in. I mean, it's a beautiful place, but they've totally destroyed it. Yeah, he is a liar, but uh, there's no yeah. mountains in Florida. People don't know that. They, they I know, but I go to Minnesota, to... <laughs> pretty flat in Minnesota, too. I mean, we get, when you get up to Duluth, you get up to the northeast side of, of Minnesota, it's different, but most of Minnesota is just flat. <laughs> so let's go way back for you. Um, you Tell me if this is correct. You began your career with a one-liner in a TV commercial for Jim Beam Whiskey, This Ain't Jim Beam. Oh, no, that was probably my 120th commercial. I, I, I've, I've shot a lot of commercials. My my first commercial is actually for Target. Uh, Minneapolis is host to a lot of uh, businesses that are that are that are their their national headquarters are there. We got Target. We got Best Buy. There's Pillsbury, 3M, General Mills, Cargill. There's so many companies. So I did a lot of commercial work back in my college years and got that all important Screen Actors Guild card before I moved out to L.A. I already had already had a good commercial reel. So um, when I booked when I booked uh, the Jim Beam thing, that was a year before I got Hercules. And it was interesting because they shot it in Auckland, New Zealand, where I ended up living for seven years. And I remember going down there to shoot this commercial and I'm going, it's kind of a cool place. I hope I get to come back here someday. And a year later, I booked Hercules and ended up living there for seven years. So. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, I actually was uh, in Australia, my, or not, well, yes, Australia and New Zealand, thinking that those would be a good place to go if uh, Washington State or California, where I'm from, ever got bad. <laughs> they were worse. So yeah. it's a good thing you did what you did 20 years they got, ago. You're right. They got more crazy, especially in COVID. They were like dictatorship down there. They finally got rid of that prime minister. She was she was absolutely horrible. Um, horrible. But, uh, you know, that's what you get when you mix communism with uh well, communism <laughs> and so. tropical locales like California. Yeah. Um, so what folks can't see besides that sword, unless they're looking at rumble um, or here on the podcast is right. you're, you're six foot three inches tall, three and yeah. a half inches tall. Uh, most actors are pretty short. Tom Cruise is five ten, but you know, he's not too short. Tom but Cruise like, is maybe five, six. He's not five ten. All right. So his, oh, he's his not. Pro, his, his, Stallone, his, Stallone I, I is 5'8". Stallone is 5'8". Emilio Estevez is 5'4 So that that's short. But yeah. but you stand out, no pun intended. Um, did you ever watch Ron Ely as Tarzan in the 60s? You know, he was 6'4", wondering if he was may have been a mentor to you. Not a mentor, but a uh, an idol of yours. No, I think, I think, I think Steve Reeves was more of a mentor because of my older brothers. I mean, that was, you know, George Reeves was his brother. George played Superman on TV. Yeah. The first series back in the 50s or 60s, whenever it was. Um, I got a letter from Steve Reeves, actually, says how much he, he loves my 
my rendition, my my portrayal of Hercules. And I got to give the studio credit at Universal's uh, because they put a lot of humor in the show, but they also put a lot of moral values in the show, even though it was a mythological character. They put a lot of biblical sort of values in there, not like in your face with it, but it was it was amazing. I mean, we by season three, we were the most watched show in the world in 176 countries. And to be part of that was just really an honor. And to this day, well, to this day, I still get stopped, but I got to be honest, People stop me more now for my faith-based movies like God's Not Dead, What If, Abel's Field. Um, I had two came out this year that I directed both of them. One is Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, based on the uh, 80 million best-selling books, Left Behind books. And then the other one was in theaters recently called Miracle in East Texas that I directed. So uh, uh, they, they're all available. Tell people to go to SorboStudios.com. It's Christmas time. SorboStudios.com. Great place to go for all things that have to do with not only Hercules and Andromeda, my other series, but a lot of my movies as well. Yeah, you just did, and you uh, jumped ahead in my script. I was going to talk about all those things, and maybe we'll we get still talk about them again. You got to you got to tell say things over and over again for people to remember. <laughs> well, one <laughs> thing about about Ron as Tarzan that reminded me of you is that a he was six four, so a right. taller, but close enough, probably lying in his promo stuff too. But you know, he did his own stunts and suffered two dozen major injuries in the process. And I read that you lost 20 pounds of muscle between the end of Hercules and the beginning of Andromeda. You did 110 episodes, uh, and that's a good run for TV. Um, of course, Hercules, you know, is, is kind of what you just said people come up to you on the street for. Um, and you were stuck up there in Canada for all that, another place that went crazy. That was that was Canada. I was in Canada for the Andromeda series. Right. So yeah. between 20 pounds lost from Hercules to that, and then 110 episodes up there in Canada, stuck yep. behind there. So what, what was your impression of Canada as a place to film versus, say, Auckland? Well, Canada, they went? At, at that time, Canada was a good place to go shoot. They weren't, you know, number one, Trudeau wasn't in office, thank God. But it was, uh, Vancouver was great. The people were great. The country at that time, I mean, it was beautiful. I was uh, I thought it was pretty easy to be up there and uh, in film. They call Vancouver Hollywood North because so much gets shot up there. I think I think outside of America, I mean, if you look at Vancouver and Toronto, because the tax credits you get and the dollar is stronger, our dollar gets more bang, you know, for its buck up in Canada. Um, you know, it's called show business, right? I mean, if a $300 million Deadpool, I think they're shooting Deadpool 3 up there right now, they're going to get $100 million back just in tax credits alone. So, um, it is called show business after all, not show show. But uh, right. I, for me, it was great. Would I like to go up there now and shoot up there now? Probably not. I mean, that country, once COVID hit, I mean, once again, you know, the, the, all these governments, their favorite weapon over the populace is, is fear. They love controlling people's lives. Thankfully, that was done in the in the 2020s and not now, of course. Um, and Ryan Reynolds is Canadian. So he's just yes, home, he basically. But uh, yeah, uh, who who were some of your childhood Hollywood idols besides the Reeveses? Um, oh, certainly the the main two would be Robert Redford and Paul Newman. I mean, that's the reason why I want to be an actor. I mean, I, I loved all the movies those guys did. Um, I got a wonderful letter hanging up over here that I got from uh, uh, Paul Newman um, saying how much he likes my work and stuff, and it was it was pretty cool. Um, uh, that, that was my guys. I'll tell you the first year you mentioned like and, and drama. I mean, Hercules, the first year in Hercules, we did five two hour movies. And we shot each movie uh, 10 weeks. So that was the full year. That was 50, 50 weeks. That was a full year of filming the five movies before it became a series. 
And on that movies, I got to work with Anthony Quinn and Anthony Quinn played Zeus. And I know there's a lot of people that down, out there that are under the age of 35 probably don't know who Anthony Quinn is, but um, Anthony Quinn is from the golden age of Hollywood. I mean, he's worked with all the other big names. The guy nominated six times for Oscars. He won twice, you know, great movies like Zorbo the Greek, The Guns of Navarone, uh, Lawrence of Arabia that won, I don't know, 13 different uh, uh, Oscars or something. So I got to work with like, a pretty cool guy. And every, every weekend we had dinner together for a year. So I, I got to bend his ear and get all these great old stories about him working with David Lean, who was a very famous director back then and uh, working with Brando working with, I mean, it was just, it was pretty cool to to hang out with him. And we stayed very good friends until he passed away eight years after that. He was 78 when he did it. He was 86 when he passed. Um, and I remember asking him, I go, why are you doing five TV movies? You're, you're, you're Anthony Quinn. And he said, Kevin, I've always wanted to play Zeus. When will I get this chance again? So it was. Uh, I, I it was loved fun. him. I loved him in Revenge, which I think was one of his last ones. And so, yeah, yeah he, that's amazing that you could work with a legend and pr- play a legend on TV. Um, and like you said, Hercules was the most watched syndicated television series in the world in the mid 90s. Um, do you look back and see him as a role model, Hercules, to kids? Oh, there's no question. I mean, just just based on the letters I got, you know, you get letters from I get letters from lonely kids, uh, orphans, uh, you know, troubled teens saying, you know, your show is teaching me that I don't have to fight all the time because Herc didn't walk out. He always was forced into it. He was every episode. He'd always try to talk people out of whatever they're doing. It would be like a last second thing. And they never killed anybody in the series. You know, he threw them and they'd land 100 meters away in a cow pie or something. But (laughs) they put up so much humor in the show which I thought was really important. But that's, you know, that's a trademark of Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi was the exec producer. And, um, you know, he did all those evil dead things, but they also put a lot of humor in there. And uh, they kept that going with this show. And I, he kind of had to do that with Hercules. Otherwise, you know, it's easily a show that people could laugh at, but we didn't want that. We wanted people to laugh with us and be in on the joke. Kind of a Gilligan's Island thing in a way, you know? And he went on to do Spider-Man. So he's doing okay for himself too. Doing okay. He did the last Doctor Strange as well. That's right. Um, and so you are an author. I said it in your bio, in your memoir, True Strength, My Journey from Hercules to Mere Mortal and How Nearly Dying Saved My Life. You described how you went from being an action hero to someone who couldn't walk a straight line because you felt like you were constantly falling backwards. Dizziness, heart palpitations, nausea, migraines, loss of sight and speech plagued you for months following the strokes and a constant humming sound rang in your ears every minute. I think that's called tinnitus. Um, for two years. Uh, Sam, your wife, dedicated herself to helping you. She was your fiance at the time, endure four months of grueling rehabilitation before you got married and returned to filming the sixth and final season of Hercules after all that. Uh, For those who haven't read your book yet, but should, please go out and get it. What do you remember from those days besides Sam? Well, actually, we had two more seasons left. We, We filmed season six and seven. Uh, my my strokes happened in a season five. Uh, I had an aneurysm that I didn't know about that. It was in my left subclavicle right up next to my to my neck. And uh, it opened up and sent hundreds of clots into my left arm. But I had four strokes that hit, hit my brain. It took me, uh, the speech came back fairly quickly, luckily. But it took me four years to learn, four years, four months to really, I worked my butt off, trust me. Because I was like in really good shape back then. So yeah. I think it helped me a lot. Uh, but it took me four months to really push myself to learn how to balance and walk again. It took me three full years to feel like I recovered. I still have side, you know, issues. I mean, I still have a 10% loss of vision in both eyes. 
uh, but it was worse than that at one time. It was closer to 40% at one time. Um, I still get balance issues if I get really tired, you know. I'm a cheap date now. I can't have more than one drink. Otherwise, it's going to affect me more than it's going to affect me before. But I do like a glass of uh, wine and maybe a cold beer after a round of golf. But I'm not, I was never a heavy drinker to begin with. Um, but, uh, you know, I still work out now all the time. I keep pushing myself. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a blessing that it, it really, I didn't want to write the book. My wife bugged me to write the book. She said, you don't realize how therapeutic this can be for other people. Because here you are playing Hercules, the strongest man in the world, and it happened to you. And I was already, I didn't have any of the things that said, oh, you're set up to have strokes. I didn't, you know, I didn't have any of that stuff. And um, so I it, I wrote the book and it's been amazing because it opened up a door for me. I thought I'd never be doing and that's public speaking. Uh, I'm not afraid to get into public speaking, but it's not something I thought I'd you know, be doing. And I do probably about 12 to 15 speaking events a year now. And uh, it's the book. People can tell from the book that I'm conservative. They can tell I'm a Christian. So it went from just the initially speaking events were all medical. I'd speak to, you know, whether it's chiropractors or I'm speaking to nurses or I'm speaking to uh, anybody in the medical field. It, it ended up being a lot of I do a lot of pro-life speaking, a lot of Christian education speaking, uh, motivational as well. Um, and it's been uh, it's been weird. It's been a weird door that God opened up for me that I never thought I'd be doing. But I'll tell you. I, I think the whole thing became a calling for me and it really made me kind of go down a different road in terms of what the kind of movies that I wanted to do after, well, then I had uh, two more years in Herc and five years in Andromeda. But then after that, I started doing movies. I think I wanted that had more of a message than, than anything else. And that's kind of the road we've been on for a while now. Yeah. God bless. Well, Billy Graham, you said played a big part in making you who you are today. Uh, he lived in 99 how yeah. did he affect you, and did you ever get to meet him? Um, I was 13 years old. Um, the Billy Graham Foundation had a huge um, uh, headquarters up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. And uh, he was doing a, one of his big crusades, and it was downtown St. Paul at the St. Paul uh, uh, State Fairgrounds. And it had to be, it was a hot August night. There had to be at least 200,000 to 250,000 people there. I mean, it was amazing. And we took, like six buses from my church to get down there. And for whatever reason, something I never would have done, especially at 13 years old, is when he finished speaking, he said, I've got, you know, volunteers down there if you want to come down and pray, talk, whatever. I was motivated to go down there. And I went down there and I sat in the grass with this guy. I was 13 at the time. This guy was maybe 30. So I thought he was really old, right? So I'm sitting on the grass with this guy. And all of a sudden, a hand went on my head and I turned around and it was a full moon, but behind the full, in front of the full moon was Billy Graham's head. So he, he had these these rays shooting out of his hair, and it's oh just like that kid. It was very, it was very Holy Spiritish, I guess. And we talked, and he prayed for me. And um, I said that story in the Larry King show years later, and they called me. Larry Ross, who heads up all the PR for the Billy Graham Foundation, called me up and said, "Look, we're doing the only hardcover book that Chicken Soup of the Soul has ever done. We want you to, to do one of the chapters. They always have 101 stories. Talk, talk about when you're 13." So I wrote it, and then uh, they, when the book was done, they came to me and said, um, "You know, he's well into his 90s. He can't travel, but he loves what you had to say, and he loves the things you're doing now." Because I was already doing by that time, I already been doing like "What If" and "God's Not Dead" and stuff, and he said. Um, would you be willing to, we'll, we'll pay for everything you travel, but would you go out and do the publicity on the book? So pretty cool honor, no question. And through wow. that, of course, that Franklin Graham, I've been friends with Franklin ever since. Wow. And a future Greek god was discovered by an Italian fashion designer, Gianni Versace, who hired you as a model for his clothing line. That's where yeah. the tall part comes in. 
Uh, and over the next three and a half years, your modeling exploits took you to Paris, Munich, Zurich, and London. So you're already known internationally before you were a superstar on TV. Well, you know, it's, it's something I wasn't planning on doing because I'm an actor, but I was dating a model at the time. And she kind of talked me into going over there to Italy. And uh, that's how I met Versace in M Milan. And uh, it was just it was just weird. We're, we stayed friends up until his passing. And um, I tell a joke about how, you know, he he kind of hit on me. He's gay. And but we remained very good friends. And I laughed at him and said, dude, I'm as straight as straight can be, you know. But I think he he admired the fact that I was so straightforward with him. Um, and didn't feel any kind of pressure to do something, you know. And uh, we remained friends, and I did a lot of his shows. He had me do a lot of his female shows because of my height. Because a lot of these models, even with high heels, are six one or something, and I'm, and I'm over six three. So um, it was just kind of fun to me. I took up it's like acting in a way. That's why I looked at it, you know. And um, I wasn't planning on spending three and a half years in Europe. It wasn't the game plan after college. It just turned into it. But it made me grow up. I got to tell you, it was. It was fun. And then I went, I went, um, when I got back to the States, um, I got sidetracked by um, my agent in, in LA, which I hadn't even met only over the phone. I already signed with a commercial agent because I had a very good commercial reel. And they called me up and they said, Hey, there's an Australian um, commercial that they want, they want you for. And before I know it, I'm on a plane to Australia and I'd only been about three days in LA and I ended up staying in Australia for eight months. <laughs> so it was, I put all this stuff on hold. I remember my dad one time saying, I thought you were moving to LA. And I said, I'm not calling you for money. I'm doing okay. I'm making <laughs> Jet setter. Jet setter so, from the get-go. Okay. Uh, well, now I've said, Kevin, for a long time that all these sequels of 80s action heroes who are old now, just gravity took over, are, are, are really a commentary on America as we are old and not able to hold up that beacon of strength and moral righteousness we once did when Rocky beat the Russians or Rambo against the Taliban or Arnie, sure. you know, the old James Dean adage, die young and leave a good looking corpse. Uh, now it's sad old men like the last Indiana Jones, you know, sorry, Eddie, I saw it. He's exhausted. And the shirtless scene was a really bad call. You said you're part of a larger fight in defense of the virtues of masculinity, which are being eroded in Hollywood and in society yeah. at large. So you wrote, the test of lionhood. Yep. Do you agree the message of the old action hero movies today is we are spent? And what do you want kids to get out of that book? And what is today's entertainment doing to our kids' minds? There's the book for those who can see it. Um, Brave Books came to me, and I was very honored for them to come to me. My friend Kirk Cameron has done a couple books with them, and I'm about to do another book with them. In fact, before you and I met here just now, it has spent about four and a half hours with the Brave Book people at a studio shooting a bunch of promotional pieces coming up. And uh, I've always talked about that, you know, I'm tired of, of people saying we got to wake up, the, you know, wake up the sheep, wake up the, the silent majority. Well, I don't know when the silent majority is going to ever wake up because I see the insanity of what's going on in our country, that people aren't fighting for better things. I'm seeing woke pastors and woke churches. I mean, a lot of my speaking I do, I say pastors, you, you, you work for God, not government. But there's a lot of pastors out there that are doing the opposite. And uh, they don't have the guts to uh, speak the truth anymore. It's all I don't I don't want to offend anybody. I don't, you know what? Truth is kryptonite to the left. Truth is kryptonite to our government. It's kryptonite to Hollywood. And I just got sick of it. And I said, look what they've done to kids in terms of the masculinity issue. And they've been beating us down since the 60s, you know, just making it worse and worse every single decade now. 
And, you know, men are men, women are women. There's a difference. For men to sit there and say they're a woman and go into women's sports and they're totally kicking their butts, this is just stupid. And shame on parents for keeping their girls in those sports. Move them out. Take all these girls and do your own competition somewhere else on another day outside of the school. Because it's just stupid to sit there and reinforce this um, this mental illness, because that's what it is. You're either a boy or a girl. I met a girl in the movie I was shooting. She's 21 years old. She's, I said, what are you studying in college? She said, gender studies. I looked at her and said, what? Okay, look, I could have saved your parents 200 grand. Male, female, boom, done. And I, I get attacked for that, but that's reality. And I don't blame, I, look, if somebody thinks when they're old enough, I know Bruce Jenner for years, okay? Bruce was 60, when he, when he said, I want to be a woman now. Okay, he's an old enough man to, a person to make something, do that for himself. Don't do that to four and five-year-olds. Let them at least get to 18 years old. Even if they have that going through, work with them, talk with them. But let them be, let them grow up. Let them get old enough. Because you, you've seen it, I've seen it, that a lot of these 20 to 30-year-olds now that transitioned decades ago or you know 10 years ago, they now blame their mom or their dad. They go, what were you, I was eight years old. What were you thinking? You know, And they're saying to themselves, I don't care if people want to do that to themselves. I honestly don't. I'm a live and let live kind of guy. But let them be old enough to do it. My book is really about letting boys grow up to be boys and hopefully grow up to be strong men and strong father figures. It's, mm-hmm. I'm not anti-anything. I'm pro-child is what I am. I'm pro-child. Let kids grow up and make that decision for themselves. If that's that's what they want to do, fine. The, the ultimate crowd attacking me left and right. They attack all the time anyway. They got nothing better to do with their lives, which is very sad to me. Um but uh, I, I said, you know what? You're not going to find one. I've been in the business 40 years. You're not going to find one lesbian, one gay man. You're not going to find one that says when I worked with them, I was a horrible person. You're not. No. And they can no. come out lie and say I was. No. Just if anything, you're a concerned dad like me, and that totally makes sense. So, but it's just like it's just like weird to me. But I mean, this is the battle we got going on right now, and it's just it's sad that we have so much hate and anger out there because I don't harbor that to them. I don't harbor that to the other side. I feel sad that we can't have a civil conversation. Yeah. I really do. I feel sad that they live in this dark, dark, darkness space, and they don't want light in. And they want the only way they have temporary. Uh, a way of feeling better for themselves is attacking you and attacking me. But all it does is hurt them. It doesn't hurt me. It doesn't no, hurt. Not me. much room for conversation. That's for sure. Oh. So 1995, 1999, you were Hercules, uh, a spin-off. 1993 to 1999. Oh boy. All right. I know. Well, You're I, not I, the I, first person to get that wrong. I don't know why <laughs> they have listed wrong. Some got it right and some don't have it right. But a spin-off, Xena, the Warrior Princess with New Zealander Kiwi Lucy Lawless was 95 to 2001. Um, New Zealand went, we just said, way off the deep end. So I kind of understand maybe where this is going. But you wrote on Twitter, do these look like Trump supporters or leftist agitators disguised as Trump supporters? They don't look like patriots to me. This was about January 6th. The image you shared was the shirtless, self-identified QAnon shaman in the Viking hat. You know, his name is Jake Angeli of Arizona. She wrote back, no peanut. They are not patriots. They are your flying monkeys, homegrown terrorists, QAnon actors. They are the douchebags that go out and do the evil bidding of people like you who like to wind them up like toys and let them do their worst. Okay, so that's Lucy Lawless, January 7th, 2021. First off, peanuts aren't six, three and a half inches, so she's rude. But you were right. Jake did his time and is now running for Congress has she come around and said, I'm sorry? Or I don't, I've been talking to her for 20 years. You know, everything I said about that, you know, anybody who can read knows that all that January 6th stuff 
everything we said is true. Everything exactly. we said is, is, is it was it, the FBI is guilty, the CIA is guilty. It was planned. It was put out there. Did some people go in there and make a mistake by jumping in there? Sure, they did. But then now, you, now we're seeing all of the videotapes. And you can see they're opening up the doors. Hey, come this way, come that way. They're, 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 they're doing fake arrests with other FBI guys. And then they get around a closed door and take his handcuffs off when they think they're off camera and they're doing fist pumps with each other. I mean, there's, you know, there's a lot to be answered. So and you were, you were right within five minutes and we have to wait three years to get this information. Well, right? all my conspiracy theories, of course, have come true. And they got footage. You got footage of Antifa guys getting <laughs> videotaped by their friends laughing about it, putting on Trump stuff. And the one guy says, yeah, I know this is going to make you sick and throw up, but just put it on. We got to blend in. This guy's admitting to it. Joke's on us. God forbid. God forbid we look at the truth. Yeah. Well, that's once again, the people on the left are just full. They're like, look. Zena wouldn't have a career without Hercules. She would still be a New Zealand actress that no one would know about. My series is already in the most watched show in the world when she got in there. Now, I think the more interesting thing one is my fifth year spinoff with young Hercules. A lot of people don't remember the actor who played me as a teenager. Um, the show only lasted two years. He was devastated. I went out to lunch with him and said, dude, you're a good actor. You're going to do fine. The kid playing me as a teenager was a 20-year-old Ryan Gosling. Ah, There you go. A little blonder, <laughs> but yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to run out of time with you. Well. I know you're busy, got a busy schedule today. <laughs> but uh, so Gene Roddenberry created yeah. Star Trek, which only had 79 episodes. So you outlasted Captain Kirk, which is very cool. And your Hercules ratings were actually higher because it got canceled for low ratings. Um, uh, high guard Captain Dylan Hunt. That was you. Uh, for uh, Andromeda, formerly titled Gene Roddenberry's Andromeda, is a space opera television series based on unusual material by Gene Roddenberry, developed by Robert Hewitt Wolf and produced by Roddenberry's widow, uh, Michelle, I think it's called Barrett, uh, and it starred you. What 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 are your biggest takeaways from that experience? You did that well, longer. Look, I dropped you? watching reruns of Star Trek back in the seventies and eighties. I was a huge fan. I probably saw every episode. I don't know how many times in college. It was 10.30 at night. It was Twilight Zone, 11 o'clock. It was, it was Star Trek. So for me to go to these autograph shows at Comic-Cons and now meet Bill Shatner, um, and I've known him now for, my gosh, well over 20 years. It's pretty cool. I've been to his house for Monday Night Football games, uh, Comic-Cons. We've gone to dinner afterwards. So to be the first captain ever created by Gene Roddenberry after he created Captain Kirk, uh, it's kind of a, it's a bit of an honor. So I'm 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 flattered by all of that for sure. All right. So I don't think we have a lot of time left. But yeah, I, I got to roll. I'm sorry. <laughs> all right. I just wanted to get to this one last thing, if you can. Sure. Um, you got to reunite with a friend of mine. Uh, you teamed up with Howie uh, Klausner again for Reagan coming out next year. Um, I love Secret Handshake, filmed 14 minutes from me right here wow. in Franklin, Tennessee, and filmed in Howie's house. How was working with him and Dennis Quaid as Ronald Reagan? Well, Howie's brilliant. He's so funny. He's got a great sense of humor, and he loves golf like I do. And it's it's unfortunate. Here, I've done other independent movies, too, that are wonderful. And Howie's movie, The Secret Handshake, is such a great coming-of-age movie comedy. And here's the frustrating thing of independent movies. We don't have that $100 million advertising budget like they do in Hollywood for their big blockbusters. They'll spend $250, $300 million filming a Pirates of the Caribbean or Avengers or whatever. They spend $100 million promoting it so they can put a commercial on every football game, every sitcom. We got to rely on word of mouth. I had one that was like in that range where I shot $2 million movie called God's Not Dead. It made $140 million all on word of mouth. 
Howie's movie deserves a theatrical release and it deserves a bigger audience, but it's so brutal to get him out there. And Hollywood has a good way of trying to keep indies out anyway. They don't want any kind of competition and they want to, you know, squash anything you're putting out there. But wonderful movie. Dennis Quaid and I have worked together before. In fact, we were just at a charity golf event for St. Luke, just the hospital, just or St. Jude's Hospital just a couple of days ago. Um, we did a movie called Soul Surfer, The Life of Bethany Hamilton, that did very well in theaters. We shot that in Hawaii. We became good friends on that two months there because we had we, we had like four days off each week for the two months, so we just golfed all four of those days together. And then um, this Reagan movie, he plays Reagan, I play his pastor. I, rumors, it's coming out next spring or summer. I don't have any dates yet, but um, it's a big epic. I'm sure it's going to be about three hours long because it deals with his life very young up until he passed away. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be yeah. fun. Can't wait. And uh, a world fit for kids, a nonprofit organization that trains teenagers to become mentors to younger children, celebrity, celebrity edition of the game show, the who's who wants to be a millionaire. You won $32,000 on that and you plowed it right back into your charity, a world fit for kids. Tell us about that real quick. Um, wonderful charity. Uh, they approached me during my Hercules years and I always want to do something with public schools because public schools suck and we know it. they're only getting worse. Uh, my program, I mean, LA Unified is one of the worst school districts in the country with a 54% dropout rate on average every year that I've been doing this for over 20 years. The 12,000 kids we work with, we have a 98% graduation rate and a 67% high, higher GPA. What are we doing that our school systems can't do? And those three hours after school, what are we doing with these kids to give them hope, give them self-esteem, give them motivation? I mean, it's unbelievable. Take your kids out of school right now. And Bill Maher says, don't send your kids to university. That's quite a thing from coming from a left guy like that. But he's an old school Democrat. He gets it. He sees how far left the country's getting right now. And he's smart enough to know it's not a good thing. So um, go to worldfitforkids.org for more information. But even more importantly, you can go to sorbostudios.com. That's a good place to go. Awesome. And we had John Schneider on here for Halloween. And he gave us a yeehaw shout out from his Bo Duke days. He still yeah. got it. Will you give us a disappointed? Hey, hold on a second. John is going to be at, we're, we're going to have a fa family and faith Comic-Con type of show up in Sevierville, just north of you, just south of Knoxville. Go to riseupcon.com. That's riseupcon.com. You can see some of your favorite actors that have been in movies that are family and faith based. So John Schneider will be there. Dean Cain will be there. Um, Neil um, McDonald will be there. Uh, the, 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 the Carrie and Chuck, the writers from God's Not Dead and Nefarious and uh, we I just we got so many good things that uh, please check out riseupcon.com. We have a charity golf event as well on May 29th, May 30th, and June 1st is the con. Please show up and support us and see some of your favorite actors there. Christy Swanson will be there as well. Very cool. We'll put that in show notes and on our socials. Um, and will you give us a disappointed? Well, the only thing that <laughs> uh, I hate is cold weather. When I get in cold weather, I'm disappointed. There you go. <laughs> there. <laughs> Awesome. Well, do you want to give anyone some socials so they can go look you up online and then you can go? Um, Sorbostudios.com is a great place to go. At KSorbs for Twitter. Facebook Facebook took me down two years ago for all my uh, my my uh, misinformation, which, of course, everything I said is now true, of course. Um, they won't let me back on. They took 4 million followers away. But I'm closing in on 2 million on Twitter, so go to KSorbs there. It's a good place to go. It's a good place to start. I post a lot there every single day. Uh, Instagram, the same thing. Um, just go check it out. You can follow me there. I put very funny, sarcastic truth. That's what I deal with. All right. Thanks for giving us the extra time and good luck to you. God bless. Right. Take care. Bye.
With Columbia, Tennessee-based EnergizeHealth.com, you lose fat fast, simply and naturally, without restrictive exercise or cardboard dry, tasteless food. Revolutionize your health with this proprietary 88-day science from John and Chelsea Jubilee. People report getting off medications and reversing ailments. Energy, mental clarity, and alertness go through the roof. Look and feel many years younger and oftentimes unrecognizable. I know. I'm an alumnus and lost 70 pounds of fat with John and Chelsea and wouldn't have energy to do three shows a week without it. Hit the link in show notes for your free consultation and discount. Money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose but unhealthy fat. EnergizedHealth.com. I don't Well, Steve, you got another winner. That was a, that was another. <laughs> yeah, that was a good. What'd you think of him? Oh, Kevin wonderful! Zorba. I, I, uh, you know, I'm like when I launch my own show, which I'm working on right now. Um, I'll have to bring him on because uh, I lived. I, I visited Auckland. I have been to Auckland. I've been to Australia. You were in Australia, Auckland, or uh, New Zealand. Um, yep. I know that Auckland. they shot a lot of stuff in Milford Sound, which is you go out there. It's a famous place to go and do a the 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 boat road ride out there and everything um but you whenever i've seen like opening shots of that valley with the creek going through it i'm like milford sound i know exactly that's at and my wife went there too several years after i did before we got married um but um yeah what a great uh, he he yeah, lived really cool water slides too that are natural you go through caves through the rocks and you come out in the warm spring it's pretty awesome oh i didn't it's do that it's an amazing place amazing place but uh, well, what he's a, a career! Big Christian man who decided to make a comeback, which we've that's kind of been the theme of our entertainers that have been on the show, and they uh, kept it going for forty years, even though Hollywood didn't want him to uh, go another four days. So fantastic, good stuff. He's probably have more fun now than ever because, as good as he he had it in the good days, then he exited at, when the bad days happened, and now, like he said, uh, he's been he's shot so many things that are has nothing to do with Hollywood. They're all down there in Texas and Georgia and in all that area. So he's, and then he's doing a lot of independent. So these guys, they may not make quote, quote, the, the, the money per show. Yeah. But he's, they, doing, fine. he's but, doing fine. But he's doing fine. Yeah. yeah. And he, he is making the money and he is independent. And I, yes, and he I think is. He's, a, he's a real hustler and he's still going and it's a good thing he recovered. And his wife is great. I wanted to get into his wife, Sam, but she was starred with him in this most recent movie too. So you can see her on the big screen. Um, but I wanted to talk about this, you know, I've in the past, I've talked about the 3000 County strategy, but I've never really explained it. Do you know what it is? That is where they're going in and they're, uh, if I remember right, one, they're redistricting, and number two, they're trying to get a move red, is it a blue, into mm-hmm. red counties, mm-hmm. three thousand counties worth of blue. They're trying to go in there, which is all of them, by the way. Which but is yeah, all of them. So, no two counties are exactly the same. Counties are obviously diverse in structure and how they deliver services to to the people that live there. Uh, the organizational structure vary. All county, parish, and borough governments are on the front lines of delivering vital services to the residents. So if you want to take over a country, you need the means of production 
that's what communism is, and you need the counties in America. And so America's 3,069 counties, parishes, and boroughs represent the places where we live, work, and play. 19,355 elected county board members and executives, 18,629 independently elected officials, including elected constitutional officials or row officers, that'd be sheriffs, 37,984 total county elected officials. So if you want to take over, you only need a majority of less than 40,000 people, all right? Including county board members, executives, and row officers, counties are so present in our everyday lives that we sometimes overlook the many ways they help our communities thrive in the good days. Often behind the scenes, 40,000 county elected officials and 3.6 million county employees are responsible for maintaining roads and bridges, caring for our physical and mental health, administering our elections, ensuring public safety, strengthening environmental stewardship, and so much more. That from the National Association of Counties. Did you know there was such a thing? Oh, NACO. I know. Yep. Okay. NACO is owned. NACO.org. NACO is owned by America's county governments with oversight and governance by an executive committee and board of directors, executive committees, and board of directors. So we talk a lot about the march through the institutions. You don't need a majority of 40,000 people. You certainly don't need a majority of 3.6 million employees. You need the board. The National Association of Counties strengthens America's counties, serving nearly 40,000 county elected officials and 3.6 million county employees. Founded in 1935, NACO unites county officials to advocate county priorities in federal policymaking, promote exemplary county policies and practices, uh, nurture leadership skills and expand knowledge networks, optimize county and taxpayer resources and cost savings, and enrich the public's understanding of county governments. Okay, the message. That brings me to Ms. Susan Maranishi, County Administrator, Alameda County, California. Has over 35 years of experience working for Alameda County. She's the first woman to be appointed as County Administrator in Alameda County and was the first Asian American woman County Administrator in all of California. Prior to appointment in 1995, Maranishi served as the Assistant County Administrator. She's an active supporter and member of several diverse community and nonprofit organizations, including the Safe Passages Youth Venture Joint Powers Authority. She's also a founding member of the California Asian Public Administrators Network and Caucus of Elected Asians, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, -A -A, Panacea. She graduated from the University of California, Berkeley, uh-oh, with a BA in the social sciences, of course. Maranishi resides in Oakland with her husband and has two sons. So I jump over here to this website that I kept open on my screen for you, dear reader. And it lists, it's called transparentcalifornia.com slash salaries. Huh. So I go back to 2015 and I look up Susan Sharashawa Maranishi, County Administrator, Alameda County, what do you think her total pay and benefits were in 2015? Uh, on this on this organization, or pre pre, for her as an as an administrator. Uh, okay, I'm gonna if she's in California, probably 150k a year. Interesting, seven hundred twenty nine thousand one hundred sixty two dollars. 
Oh, wow. The next year, $740,965.49. The next year, which was 2018, $758,314.774755, 7874318. Two zero nine one nine in twenty twenty in twenty twenty one eight hundred and fifty three thousand ninety three dollars and last year twenty twenty two eight hundred eighty eight thousand seven hundred and thirty five dollars. There are nineteen thousand California administrator employees making six figures like that. Why do I bring this up? Tens of thousands still waiting as California COVID rent relief program runs low on cash. Los Angeles Daily News. Though the application window closed in March 2022, more than 70,000 households still have applications pending on the eve of 2024. Americans face a crushing credit card burden. The nation's collective card balance stands at a record $1.08 trillion as of the end of September. The average interest rate has hit 21%. The highest figure recorded by the Federal Reserve is nearly three decades of tracking. That's the record high. With the overall consumer debt exceeding $17.3 trillion in the third quarter, third quarter 2023, the personal finance website WalletHub has posted its rankings of the states with the largest and smallest debt increases based on recently released data from the Federal Reserve. California. Increased in California debt, the average debt in California increased by $13,061,926,687.50. Wow. To be exact, in quarter three of 2023, it's probably worse now. Wow. Average California household debt, the average household in California owes, guess. Of debt, probably uh, $50,000 to $150,000 each for debt. I love it when you play my straight man. $235,375 in debt. That's the average household in California. Not below average, not above average, the average. California rank, California debt increased ranks as the second highest in the nation. People in Hawaii added the most debt per household. California's budget problems appear to be getting worse, according to an update from the state's legislative analysis office, an agency that guides the state's legislature in its financial decision-making. have not done a very good job of that, obviously. In a brief blog post updated, Big Three Outlook from Personal, Corporate, and Sales Tax Receipts, the LAO noted, delayed tax payments came in much weaker than state leaders anticipated, resulting in a potential budget hole of about $58 billion Ooh. spread out over the next three years. The office is expected to release a full analysis of the state's budget outlook next week. I bet you it's 100. The update marks a tough start in what is already expected to be a long and challenging process of determining how the state should spend its money this upcoming year. Lawmakers and the governor last year had to figure out how to close a $31.5 billion budget gap. Budget experts in the assembly told KCRA this upcoming year's potential budget hole alone could be about 40 billion, bet you it's 100. Parents with children in foster care, this is a related story, must make repeated courthouse appearances, complete programs and classes and prove to a judge that safety concerns in their homes have been addressed. 
But some mothers and fathers working to reunite their families face yet another hurdle, monthly payments to the state to cover the costs of the government's care and custody. Sounds right, right? I mean, we want our families to be united. In the past year, federal officials have taken steps to end the practice of charging parents and their children uh, after their children are removed from home, an often fruitless effort to collect monthly child support payments. Okay, understood. That's terrible. That's miserable. But how do they afford it? What do they do? How do they pay for all this? Now, California has gone a step further by relieving the debt owed by by tens of thousands of state residents in a letter to county officials last month, the state wiped away up to $400 million in such debt accrued over the past two decades. Taxpayers paid for that. You don't wipe it away. You can't just erase it with a number two pencil. Someone's paying for that and it's taxpayers. So I just talked about that big debt. There's 400 million more of it. Stephen Eldred, the recently retired director of the Orange County Department of Child Support Services, Orange, sorry, there's my dog, Orange County is known to have gone bankrupt before, by the way, who has conducted thorough research on his controversial bill collection process called the state's move a leapfrog moment. Taking this burden off the backs of these parents is a major assist to many, many poor Californians, he said. Mm -hmm. And amidst that debt bomb, Construction to begin on $16 million project to restore historic Pigeon Point Lighthouse. East Bay Times says Pigeon Point Lighthouse, a towering 19th century white brick structure that is one of the most vener venerable historic landmarks on Northern California's coastline, has been closed to the public for more than 20 years because of safety concerns. Now is finally about to receive a major renovation. The 115-foot structure, which looms over the scenic coastline between Half Moon Bay and Santa Cruz, is the tallest operating lighthouse on the West Coast. State parks officials have signed a $16 million contract with Sustainable Group, a Moraga contractor run by a former Coast Guard commander to replace failing bricks and masonry, conduct interior repairs, and to rebuild the black cast iron bracings around the top of the lighthouse that are so corroded, an engineering report in 2009 described the tower's upper levels as in critical condition and at risk of catastrophic failure. Maybe Ms. Steve. Susan Shirashawa Murashi should be forced to chip in some of that total uh, from her pay. What's up? Well, I was just going to say, why, with all the billionaires in California who benefit from that beautiful state, why don't they just have someone like that pony up $20 million and they put a little plaque at the bottom, say, special thanks to Joe Blow for his donation of the money used to renovate this, uh, this structure. And you know how many people would probably step up to the plate if all these little structures, there's more than that, I'm sure, but they would love to have a little plaque that says, thank you for, because I see that all over the place. I go to parks all over the United States, and there's little plaques that say, in memory of Doris and Frank for donating the land or whatever why not steve why not no because if they can't make it into a vaccine creation facility they're not interested in it <laughs> that's the whole problem right 20 years it sat there and they could have done this now it costs 60 million dollars with inflation and you got susan up there making uh you know eight hundred thousand dollars she's not going to do it she's oh. not going to spend it these are selfish people that's the whole point of the show all right meanwhile for the rest of us smart enough not to live in california by Casey Harper, the Center Square, December 4th. 
The rapidly growing debt of the U.S. federal government has hit another milestone, topping more than $100,000 per person. I should have tested you on that. While the U.S. population, that's you, that's me, that's everyone listening to the show and their kids. While the U.S. population and the U.S. national debt are large numbers that are difficult to calculate, the rough debt estimate and rough population estimate end up at about 100000 of federal debt per person in the U.S. The U.S. Census population clock estimated the U.S. population at nearly $336 million. Yep. Meanwhile, the U.S. Treasury Department estimates the national debt is nearly $34 trillion. Easy math. The national debt just exceeded 100000 per person, per citizen. Rep. John James, Republican Michigan, wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter, this should send a message to the White House that this reckless federal spending is at a breaking point. No way. Nope. The U.S. Treasury confirmed in the middle of last month that in the first month of the fiscal year, the federal government had a deficit of $67 billion. Concern about rising debt has grown along with the debt and recent international credit downgrades for the U.S. Did you know this? The federal government received a credit downgrade from Fitch Ratings, one of the top international credit rating agencies in the world. The rating went from AAA to AA+. Yeah, <laughs> bullshit. It'd be more like C+. Moody's, one of the other top three credit rating groups, announced last week that it was lowering its evaluation of U.S. credit from stable to negative. <laughs> The trust funds for Medicare, Social Security, and highways are facing insolvency within a decade as the federal government borrows billions of dollars per day. Sorry to break the news to you folks, but that's the fact. Despite these red flags, federal deficit spendings, which has been elevated since the COVID-19 pandemic, congressional spending shows little sign of slowing down, deficit spiking during the pandemic, and while they have decreased from their COVID-era peaks, they still remain higher than before the pandemic. Well, you know, what can you do? You gotta pay Susan. <laughs> little little history lesson for all of us who- And a hundred like her, or a hundred thousand like her, Steve. And a hundred thousand like her. Uh, the 14th Amendment. I know it's complicated. There are five of them, five passages, but the first, section one, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the states wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privilege or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Here's the kicker. Nor deny to any person within the jurisdiction the equal protection of the law. Now listen to this. Okay. Nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Like Kevin Sorbo said, you got to say it four times for people to understand it. Equal. Equal means to be equal to, especially to be identical in value to, according to Merriam-Webster's dictionary. There are five sections to 14a, so sorry, it's a bit longer than 2a, shall not infringe, so requires some reading and reading comprehension, but seriously, equal means equal, not this. This from the Washington Free Beacon, Alex Schemmel, 12-2-23, just a couple days ago. This after a month-long strike, so keep that in mind, Port Portland Public Schools must now consider race, gender, identity when disciplining kids. New collective bargaining agreement centers district's disciplinary procedures on racial equity and social justice. A new collective bargaining agreement between Portland's public schools and its unionized teachers requires school officials to consider a disruptive student's race 
gender identity, and sexual orientation when crafting that student's disciplinary plan. When a student exhibits continuous disruptive behavior, the agreement says school officials must develop a support plan for the student, which can include disciplinary measures such as detention. That plan must take into consideration the impact of issues related to the student's trauma, race, gender identity, presentation, sexual orientation, and restorative justice as appropriate for the student, according to the agreement. The new disciplinary policy also eliminates mandatory suspensions for students who threaten to harm others. Now those students may only be removed from their classroom, not from school altogether. The policy change reflects a broader effort at both the federal and local levels to develop race-conscious disciplinary rules for public school students. Earlier this year, for example, the Biden administration released a memo urging schools to refrain from suspending students for truancy, arguing that significant disparities by race have persisted in the applications of student discipline. School districts in Washington and Illinois, meanwhile, have adopted disciplinary policies that aim to provide a culturally responsive and restorative approach to student discipline. That's your Washington, Steve. Parents Defending Education Senior Advisor Michelle Exner slammed Portland Public Schools and the Portland Association of Teachers for their absurd disciplinary policy changes. These policies are wrong, counterproductive, and will only feed into the divisive climate we are seeing across academic institution or institutions, Exner told the Washington Free Beacon. Neither Portland Public Schools nor the Portland Association of Teachers responded to requests for comment. Portland Public Schools, of course, Portland Public Schools ratified its latest agreement with the city's Portland Association of Teachers on Tuesday following a teacher strike that kept students out of the classroom for nearly a month. As a result, students will see their winter breaks cut in half to make up for lost class time, a move that parents have complained will impact their holiday plans, you think? There you have it. Another constitutional right, this time the 11th, is dead in an American city. I've been saying there are only 49 states. Oregon has been gone a long time. Sadly, there are many more. We're down to about three. Florida, Tennessee, Arkansas, and sometimes Texas. Go look at all the arrests this year where they book the criminal and label them white. Very strange. The mugshot doesn't exactly jive with there being white persons, certainly affecting the nameless faceless crime statistics, which I'm sure is the point. As George Orwell said in Animal Farm, whatever goes upon two legs is an enemy. Whatever goes upon four legs or has wings is a friend. No animal shall wear clothes. No animal shall sleep in a bed. No animal shall drink alcohol. No animal shall kill any other animal. All animals are equal. Comrades, he said, I trust that every animal here appreciates the sacrifice that comrade Napoleon has made in taking this extra labor upon himself. Do not imagine, comrades, that leadership is a pleasure. On the contrary, it is a deep and heavy responsibility. No one believes more firmly than comrade Napoleon and Susan from Alameda that all animals are equal. He would be only too happy to let you make your decisions for yourselves, but sometimes you might make the wrong decisions, comrades, and then where should we be? All animals are equal, but some, some animals are more equal than others. Stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. Hey, everybody, I'm John Schneider, and I am right here on the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast.
right. K Sorbs Hercules theme song. Nice job, Steve. Good job. Welcome, my quotes for the day. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify, hit the subscribe button. I really hope you like it. I predict future happiness for Americans if they can prevent the government from wasting the labors of the people under the pretense of taking care of them. Thomas Jefferson. People shouldn't be afraid of the government. Government should be afraid of the people. Alan Moore, V for Vendetta. One of the saddest lessons of history is this. If we've been bamboozled long enough, we tend to reject any evidence of the bamboozle. We've, we're no longer interested in finding out the truth. The bamboozle has captured us. It's simply too painful to acknowledge, even to ourselves, that we've been taken. Once you give a charlatan power over you, you almost never get it back. Carl Sagan. The Demon Haunted World, Science as a Candle in the Dark. That's it for this episode. Thank you, Kevin Sorbo, for bringing quality entertainment with heartland values to an otherwise wasteland of woke propaganda garbage out of Hollywood. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. Peace in our time and glory to God. Steve, take us out. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.